you can't say yes to everything. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure on moms to say yes to everything and to say yes to everything and then be great at everything. And I'm just like, I have no time for this. I'm not playing that game. Um, So self-preservation is like my sort of number one. Hi, I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm excited to sit down with Ashley Mitchell, wellness professional and DEI consultant. I'm not sure if this happens to anyone else, but my self-care routine is one giant roller coaster. I go through spurts where I'm so intentional about carving out space for myself and making sure I eat well and work out and decompress and let's be real, shave my legs. Then I'll go through weeks where I haven't showered in days. I'm barely sleeping. I've eaten potato chips with almost every meal. It's a shit show. Part of my challenge is that I see it as all or nothing. Ashley helped me reframe this. Her advice was to carve out whatever time you can and just do something to make yourself feel good. Ashley's entire life has revolved around movement and exercise. She was raised by a professional boxer and marathon runner and was very active when she was growing up. Now she inspires and leads others to move as a fitness instructor. Movement has also helped Ashley process trauma and grief in her own life. This passion led her to found a nonprofit to bring movement as a form of processing and healing for kids experiencing trauma or the stresses of daily life. Yet Ashley also struggled with the complicated expectations from the world of physical fitness after the birth of her first son. Ashley has worked to give herself grace and not fall prey to the bounce back culture six months postpartum from the birth of her son. Welcome, Ashley, to Work Like a Mother. So excited to have you today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So you're six months into motherhood now. How are you doing? It's so great. I'm learning a ton. Um, definitely about like, you know, my own boundaries and how I want to parent and how I want to be uh, a human outside of being a mom and, and all of that stuff. But it's been, um, it's been like, you can never truly be ready, I think, mm-hmm. but I knew that, that I was as ready as I was going to be. Right. And so like, I feel prepared and settled and at peace within the craziness, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. I think that makes total sense. And it also doesn't surprise me given who you are and how you approach life and the work that you do, because you are so intentional and you um, really think about being grounded. And so I you're the way you're stating it makes it sound like <laughs> like all of these things just happened now that you know you're six months postpartum but I'm reading between the lines and, yeah. and I know a a lot of hard work went into getting to that moment um and, and I want to hear like what did that journey look like how has that process worked for you and and how have you found your way because motherhood hits you like 
a ton of bricks and you have no idea what to expect. And then it feels like we're all trying to find our way. And, and the fact that you are feeling so good at where, where you're at, um, I share, share all the learning. (laughs) Um, sure. Uh, so to your point, I think, um, it is a part of who I am and what I value as, as a human being. Um, and our greatest gifts are our greatest weaknesses, right? Like, um, so sometimes I'm a little too rigid and a little too like searching for grounding and, and, and trying to set goals that sort of don't make sense sometimes because I'm just like, um, always looking for stability and peace. And sometimes that can be a toxic trait, but on the other side of that, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm really good at most of the time, um, knowing that everything is temporary and, and even the good stuff, it just, you know what I mean? It just goes away. And so, um, I've spent a long time really trying to cultivate, um, cultivate the sense of like, what makes me happy and what do I need to say yes to? And what do I need to say no to in order to make that happen? And I think that like, that's part of the preparation that is helping me now because I'm able to like triage a lot of things and just like weed it out, weed people out, weed things out. It's like, you know, you can't say yes to everything. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure on moms to say yes to everything and to say yes to everything and then be great at everything. And I'm just like, I have no time for this. I'm not playing that game. Um, So self-preservation is like my sort of number one thing. Well, and I, I, I think I forget if it's on your blog or on one of your recent posts, but I love, you said something like no is a complete sentence. Boom. And I was just like, I need, I need that plastered, <laughs> not just like in my, you know, in my room, like I need that. I don't know, like a, a sunglass, like glasses that I could see that as a yeah. reminder throughout the day, because, um, it's so true. Well, what's one thing since you are, you're six months into this motherhood journey, ah! what's one thing that has really surprised you as a new mom? I know it's probably hard because one thing. I know. (laughs) So many things. Um, You know what? The thing that surprised me the most actually has nothing to do with the baby. Um, It's been my body. It's been my weight. Um, I've been an athlete since forever. My father was a professional boxer. My mother runs marathons. My brother is an athlete. I'm a fitness instructor. Like, I don't, I don't really, uh, I don't really know why I listened to other people. Sometimes other moms are really helpful and sometimes they're the absolute worst Um, because people were like, oh my God, you're in shape. You're just, you're going to lose the weight right away. Or, oh, you're nursing. You're just going to lose the weight right away. And I latched onto that. And I was like, I am not going to carry around this baby weight forever. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then surprise, I had a C-section 
which I wasn't expecting, which totally changes the game. And here I am six months postpartum and I'm still holding on to 20 pounds, still nursing, still holding on to 20 pounds. And I'm just shocked (laughs) because I didn't some, some days I'm like, this is just what it is. And other days I feel like my body has totally betrayed me. And I feel like the moms that I listened to totally betrayed me. Um, And also I feel like, Ashley, why do you even, why do you even play into this like whole fat phobia diet culture thing? Because that's all it is. Right. And so I think that that's actually been the most surprising. The fact that, you know, my, my belly's jiggling and like, you know, flapping out of my leggings and, and stuff like that. You have shared so many nuggets of wisdom on your multiple channels. I watched an interview with you where you said that the body is about joy and strength and longevity. And I feel like that's such a healthy outlook for moms. Um, it feels un- hard to achieve um, sometimes yes. to remind ourselves of that. But how do you? channel that as a mom? How do you remind yourself of that? That's such a good question. Um, Obviously, as a fitness instructor, movement is central to my, not only my daily life, but also how I make a living, right? So um, a part of, a part of how I feel about bodies and strength and longevity and and overall health is just sort of like baked into my daily practice. Mm. But I will say that um, what's gotten harder is creating space for my own practice um, because I'm always doing it for other people. So um, I guess I want to say this. One, work with your partner to create time for you to move your body every day. Um, Mark and I, every weekend we compare calendars and we, we carve out those, those times, um, you know, an hour here, 45 minutes there. It doesn't matter uh, what it is. That's the second thing. Don't be married to time. Yes. A lot of fitness classes are 45 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever, but if you can get in 15 minutes, then get your 15 minutes, right? If it's 20 minutes, get your 20 minutes. If it's a walk around the block, a few times do that. You have to commit to the small things. Um, You have to commit to yourself in order to just continue, like, you know, just like to keep it moving because Mm -hmm. one day you'll have an hour or 90 minutes and then you take advantage of that. But I find that um, the consistency in it is, is sort of like how I can just continue to find not only like the joy, but to find new levels of strength. And so that switch in my brain of like, um, you know, I may still be 20 pounds over pre-pregnancy rate weight, but I'm strong as hell. Um, I can pick up a barbell again, which is, oh my God, if you've ever had a C-section to anyone listening, when it first happens, I, I was like, okay, I'm never going to walk again. I'm never going to pick up a barbell. I'm never going to, you know, this, that, and a third, but, um, I can lift with a barbell. I can 
go for a run. I can do this. I can do that. And like that then propels more joy, more strength, more consistency. You just got to do it and keep doing it. Keep showing up for yourself. Um, I hope that's helpful. That's what, that's what I do. There's no, there's, there's no easy way to do it. Like you just got to show up, which is the hardest, which is the hardest and easiest part. Well, it's the, it's the starting. I mean, I know I, I have not been riding Peloton like I should be and not moving my body just as much as I should be period. But I do love how at Peloton, when they say, you know, like the hardest thing was getting here, like starting and, and just putting yourself in motion. And I used to so discount that, but it, it's, it's so true that it's, you just carved out the space. You made this a priority on your like ever growing list. You, yeah, it, it is so much about the, the, the doing, um, I can totally relate to that. And, and movement is not only you were sharing like how it's sort of baked into your DNA, um, but it's also very grounded in the the nonprofit that you founded. Can you tell us a little bit about the the courage campaign and what inspired you to found it? It's actually so exciting to talk about because yesterday um, was the first time that I was back in person with the kiddos since March of 2020. And it just like, it's so different being back with them than it is virtual, right. To like feel the energy in the space was just so magical. Um, And it just confirmed that like, this is the passion, the why, whatever you want to call it. So anyway, let me stop like waxing poetic on, on my experience. But so the Courage Campaign is a nonprofit that I founded with my husband, Mark, back in 2018. Uh, we basically use movement, journaling, discussion, um, and breath work or meditation to help kids, usually kids that are in underserved schools, but any kid, Um find levels of courage and self-confidence that they didn't know they had, or maybe they know they had, but, you know, had trouble unlocking. And the reason why we started this business was there's, there's actually like a couple of things. Um, One, my father passed away unexpectedly when I was 21 years old. And it's actually a very rudimentary version of the courage campaign. I didn't know that this was courage campaign back then, but um, it was what sort of helped me through my grief. Um, I was, uh, I spent a a period of time just flailing as, as one does when, when they lose a parent at an early age. And um, I just like really wasn't doing well. I was, gaining a lot of weight and not everything is about weight, but you know, when you're being unhealthy, right. Um, my behaviors were unhealthy. I was like smoking and drinking and and not paying attention to my body and not moving my body. And, you know, all of these things were just like, not great in my life. I did have a therapist, um, which was super helpful. Um, and I was also on medication, which I thought would be helpful. And it turns out it just wasn't. 
Um, because for me, I think I'd lost my grounding. And so how I started to find it again was through movement, through journaling, through my discussions with my therapist. Um, and then, so like, we're going to like put a pause on that. And then when I moved to New England for graduate school from New Jersey, uh, I, I noticed how white it was in the spaces that I was in um, to the point where it was absolutely a culture shock. And I was like, how is it possible that I can go whole days without seeing anyone who looks like me? Like, this is crazy. And I'm used to being the only black girl, you know, on the soccer team or in dance class. And I understand what that's like, but I could leave those places. And, and then like the rest of the world would, would reflect to me what I look like. Um, but when I was at graduate school, it just like did it. And it got under my skin um, because I was like, this is not real. It's not that people of color aren't successful or pursuing higher education or whatever. Like it's just absolute bullshit. And so marrying those pieces together, I was like, well, if I feel this way, what do kids feel like when they're in schools that are underfunded, that don't have, you know, social emotional learning or yoga or whatever, like the private schools have, right? How do they feel when all of their teachers are white, when there's like not enough resources to go around, when they're not moving, when their punishments are all um, detentions and no recess, it's like pulling away everything that sort of can make a person feel human when they're stuck at school all day. And so I took that rage and I went to Mark and I was like, you know what? This really helped me. What do you like? What do you think if we like brought this into schools and tried to help kids through like whatever they're going through or, or maybe we don't help them get through anything, but maybe we just like give them a break in the day to just move their bodies and yell and scream and whatever. Maybe we just like let them be them for 45 minutes. And Mark was just like, yeah, let's go, <laughs> like, let's go for it. And so that's the very long answer of, of how the courage campaign came together. It's, it's almost like, um, it's almost like this, this sort of meshing of anti-racism and grief and trauma and empowerment and all these things mixed together, um, to give kids what, what a lot of schools or a lot of parents or families or caretakers just can't give for whatever reason. It's so amazing. The work that you're doing, take us one level deeper and paint a picture for us of what does this work actually entail? Yes. So there are two ways that you can sort of hire the courage campaign to work with students. Um, one would be something like I did yesterday, which is like a one-off workshop, which is journaling discussion and movement. Um, the second way is for the school year, but truly we're spending that class time, which is usually around 40 or 50 minutes, um, working our way through the movement, the introspection and the conversation piece. So um, there's a little bit of something for each student. Some kids are talkers, some kids um, 
(laughs) some kids quite honestly, just want to like lie in meditation and like maybe take a nap for 10 minutes. And like, that's okay too. It's just, um, it's meant to be, it's meant to be more of a time for them. That's not policed like the rest of their school day. And I'm using that word purposely. Well, so I have a four-year-old and a 20 month old and with, um, especially my older one, um, throughout the pandemic, one of the things that I'm listening to you talk that resonates with me is I've thought a lot about resilience. Um, Mm -hmm. and from your perspective, like what are some things that we can do as parents to help create similar foundations that you're bringing to schools, right. Of physical, social, and emotional health. What are some things that we could be doing at home, um, to sort of support when hopefully the courage campaign is every in every school. Right. And then you have that balance of, um, school and home. Yeah. That's such a great question, Bridget. I think it's so interesting part of it is that we just write it off as like kids are resilient. They can get through anything. It'll be fine. I turned out fine. See, we turned out fine. And I think that part of the shift for parents and I'm putting myself in this category because there are certainly things that I need to work through from my childhood and my relationship with my parents and so on and so forth. But I think it starts with the assumption that kids are resilient is is interesting. I think it needs to be challenged. I think that also has to do with like, do you think resilience can be taught? Do you think that resilience Mm -hmm. is something that we're born with? Are kids being resilient? Are they choosing resilience? Are they, or are they just continuing on because they sort of have no choice? Um, So I think it, I think first it begs you to just ask the questions. Um, The second part of that is what's imp- what's important to me what's important to my family culture is it um how do i how do i want my child to to understand how to get through hard things mm-hmm. um a lot of parents shield their kids from hard things so how can you really build resilience um if you won't let them go through the thing right uh which could be Um, if your kid is maybe getting bullied or someone's picking on them or their pet dies or um, a friendship ends, how do you as a parent want to allow your child to feel all of the feelings? You can't cultivate resilience unless you're willing to go through it. I can't tell people what to do, but I think asking the questions of like, am I allowing my child to be resilient? What does resilience resilience even mean to me? You can't have resilience unless you've gone through something. But I think in this, in the small moments, you can, you can just see how they, you can see how they react and you can ask questions and you can pay attention and you can hold space for them. You could be there for them through the hard things. I think that it's just sort of training for life, you know, like, cause it never goes away. The hard stuff never goes away. So it's, how are we setting them up to like, I can think of it as like building blocks, right? You build on your successes and you can build mm-hmm. on your resilience. Well, you, when you just use those words of, you know, preparing them for life or that, that's how I think of it, because I feel like they're so... I talk to people who, who 
it's like they wish for a stress-free life. And it's like, okay, then you yes. are just wishing for something that is never going to happen. Like stress is going to surround us, whether it's right. like, like sociopolitical, whether it's something that's happening for your family, like medically, like whatever it is, there's going to be some stressor. And so right. I, I constantly, when I think of resilience, I think, how do I prepare them so that they are able to not just survive right in this stressful world and, and, and be able to cope, but how can they actually thrive and Mm -hmm. do all the things that I now, you know, as an almost 40 year old still feel like I'm trying to figure out how to carve out time for everything we were talking about before, like saying, no, carving out time for ourselves, knowing like deep knowing what makes me happy or what rejuvenates me so that I'm able to help other people. Like all of those pieces, I think what, what makes it so hard for me personally is that because I feel like I'm still figuring it out for myself, how do I help them figure it out? So they don't have to go through all like the living and learning that I've done, which then makes me think though, that to your point of, (laughs) am I, am I sheltering them by, by helping them to be more resilient? I don't know. (laughs) They have to, they have to like, you know, they have to watch us make a mess so that they can then watch how we figure it out and how we clean it up. Right. That's, I mean, because we can say whatever we want to them, but they're watching and they know it's just, they have to watch us. I guess that's the message. They have to watch us go through the shit so they can learn how to go through their own shit and get through their own shit. Because we do, if we're still alive, we've gotten through it or we're figuring it out. Because if you are not holding space for yourself, like we talked about with your boundaries and this and that you can't possibly hold space for another human. So like you have to handle your shit. That's going to be the official hashtag of the show. (laughs) Handle your shit people. Um, well, I thank you for sharing that. Um, (laughs) and I love it. I'm totally on board. And, you know, I think one of the the things that I love most about, um, when you talk, I mean, you're, you're, you're showing it right now, but you're so real, (laughs) right? Like it's not, you're not making it seem like, I think sometimes when you think about like journaling and self-care and movement and all of these pieces, it can sound, um, too out there. Like it can sound, um, you know, not real and you are so real, um, and, and (laughs) honest and raw. And that, that gives me the hope, right. That, that I can do it too. Your blog is incredible. I read, you know, I reread the, the intro to your blog and I asked, I, I a hundred percent got chills. Can you share a little bit about the inspiration for, for your blog? Thank you so much. I I really appreciate that because I, like many other people, struggle with imposter syndrome so much, um, especially 
especially as, as a new mom, but, um, I, I basically, I just wanted space to share thoughts that were not necessarily algorithm based. Um, social media is really tough. So I was just like, you know what? I want a space that's not connected to any kind of popularity or any kind of anything. And because I also think, to be honest with you, because I'm in so many white spaces um, and because I'm either the only or one of very few, part of my work as um, as a human, but also as like a DNI consultant is, is sometimes we learn best, I think, through just experience. And so if, if I can share my experience as a black mom, I think that people, or as a black woman, I think that people can find ways into it where, and I don't want to erase my color. I'm please, I'm not saying that we should go back to people saying, I don't see color, absolutely see my color, but also see my humanity and see all the ways that we are similar so that when it comes time for you to do your anti-racist work or, you know, your anti, you know, whatever it is that you care about work, um, you know, it's, it's, you're not further marginalizing people or, or you're not further harming identities that are different from yours. Um, and so I hope, I really hope that it accomplishes that if nothing else, I, I really hope that people just like can latch on to human experience mm-hmm. um, and and then use that as a catalyst to be more anti-racist. Well, and you're not new to this space of, you know, advocating for racial justice, right? Like you had this really um, powerful article about Boston wellness being whitewashed. Can you speak a little bit more about that? And also like, what, what can we do about it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, you know, when I, when I first started in fitness, I didn't realize the privilege because I, I grew up with sports and exercise and in gyms and stuff, but where I grew up, there was no like boutique fitness. So I didn't understand or know the world of 30 or $40 per class and the outfits and the, this and the, that, and the, you know, the women in full faces of makeup on a spin bike and diamonds and all this stuff. And I was like, what in the actual fuck is this world? Um, and there's no one like me in it. And because there's no one like me in it, there's like really cringe worthy stuff happening all the time. I've had white women touch my skin, touch my hair, poke at my muscles, make comments that are completely inappropriate. Um, and, and it was, it was constant um, and there was no escape from it. And I love being a fitness instructor. It was not something that I wanted to leave. I just, it's a, it was a problem that was much bigger than my particular studio or, or Boston in general. It's, it's a problem of the culture and around bodies and, and who, who gets access 
to these things. As far as what people can do about it, well, I think it's interesting. The way we decide to spend our money means a lot. If you are supporting any business, it doesn't have to be fitness. If you're supporting businesses who do not support, truly do not support diversity and inclusion and anti-racism, then you are 100% a part of the problem. If you're not like doing your work to know why these things aren't okay, aka if you're not in the work of dismantling white supremacy, um, then you're a part of the problem. And so, you know, one piece I would say you have to read the books and watch the documentaries and listen to the podcasts. You have to do that. And the other piece is that you have to um, listen to and amplify voices like mine um, so that you can sort of hear personal experience because people of color are not a monolith, right? We all have our things. Um, and also you have to pay attention to how you're voting, how you're spending your money. Um, when you buy a home, does your neighborhood have anyone of color? Does that matter to you, right? Like, will that influence whether or not you buy that home where you send your kids? Are there other kids of color where you send your kids to daycare? Are there kids of color? Is there a caretaker a person of color? As a black woman, I have to, I have to navigate white spaces. But like white people don't always have to navigate spaces where they are not the majority. So if that is a constant in your life, how can you disrupt that? And if you don't want to disrupt that, then you are part of the problem. If I could summarize what you just said, it would be do the work and make the commitment and do those things every single day. Like it's not, yes, it's not a, oh, I'm carving out an hour a month and this is how I'm going to make a change. It is yes. omnipresent. It is in all of the decisions that yes. we as individuals are making because that is what culture and society is built on is all of these micro interactions, these micro moments, these micro choices. And yes. so it needs to be in a, uh, an enormous shift in our like conscious and awareness. Absolutely. All right. So I have some rapid fire questions to throw <laughs> at, to throw at you. Um, okay. To, to close out our episode, what's one piece of mom gear you can't live without? The carrier. Um, Zion loves to sleep with movement. So when he's being cranky, I pop him in his carrier and I go for a walk and it is magical. Can't live without that thing. What's one mom hack that makes your life easier? Oh my God. I don't even know if I have one. Is there, is there something that will make my life easier? You should tell me so I can, like, so I can steal it. Well, I think it's, it's, it's little things, right? Like my sister-in-law the other day, we were over at her house and, um, we both have like my youngest is 20 months and her youngest is 17 months. So they're right around the same age. She took like this cup right? I think it's a Contigo cup where it's just like a cup with a lid and a straw, but she took one of those little 
drinkable yogurts, which my son Brooks loves, but he's not really like <laughs> fully, you know, like he like dumps it upside down and it ends up making a huge <laughs> mess and all of these things. So she put it inside the other cup and then put the straw in. So he feels like, oh, I'm still getting the drinkable yogurt. I can see it there, but ah. I'm also not, I don't know, like making the house a disaster area. Right. right so right. That is, that's a good one. When I get there, I'm going to, I'm going to take that. This is okay. This is a hack that I think I came up with because people on Instagram were like, oh my God, it's not for babies though. It's for you. Oh, Um, I love it. (laughs) So my, but you need an air fryer. Um, my favorite cookies in the world are from Levane bakery in New York. And if you're, a whole foods shopper. I'm definitely calling out how bougie and privileged this is, but whole foods carries Levain cookies and you don't have to turn on your oven and preheat and everything. You could pop them in the air fryer for four minutes and you have your cookies. Boom. Wow. That's, that's all I got for you. I love it. Who do you love to follow on Instagram? Okay. This is like, I mean, it's corny, but honestly, more than like celebrities and activists and stuff like that, I like following like normal people like, like me. Like I like following, there are so many people who are my Instagram friends that I don't know and probably will never meet in real life ever. But to your point of like mom hacks and like things like this, I just want to know like what's going on in people's lives. Like, what did you do for a workout today? Like, did your kid have a blowout and like poop everywhere? Like, I want to know that, like, don't give me celebrities. They're fine, but I don't care. Um, my favorite people to follow are like people. Yeah. Like normalizing the, like the day to day. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. What's on your nightstand right now? (laughs) Um, a projector because we don't have a, (laughs) we don't have a TV in our room because we are trying not to watch TV, but when we want to watch a movie in bed, we'll connect a projector to a laptop and there's like a open wall in front of our bed. So there's a projector on my nightstand. There's a burp cloth. There's chapstick. There's water and there's vitamin E oil to rub my C-section scar before bed. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you for you. chatting with me. Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com. And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.